The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Vision Talk Radio with Dr. Bob. If you're interested in keeping your eye health top-notch throughout all of the stages of your life, this is the program to listen to right now. We'll discuss the latest treatments and technologies to help battle vision-related disease, as well as bring you tips and proven methods to keep you seeing well, now and as you age. Here is your host, Dr. Bob Rothbard. Good afternoon. You're on Vision Talk Radio with Dr. Bob. We have a really great guest with us today. Dr. Beth Ballinger, who is in partnership with Dr. Steve Cohen in Newport Beach, California. And I've known Dr. Ballinger now for well over 30 years, have attended lectures with her, and it's a privilege for me to have her on the other end of this talk with me. So how are you, Dr. Ballinger? I'm very well. Thank you, Dr. Bob. I appreciate being here. Oh, I, I love this. This is really great. Uh, Doctor, tell me a bit about your lectures internationally. I mean, you've done it all. I mean, all the lectures, the people whom you studied with. Tell us about these lectures internationally. Well, uh, my first international lecture was in 1990 in Monte Carlo. They had the first international um, vision training conference of doctors, and there were uh, 35 people from throughout the world that were sent invitations. Of the four people from the United States, I was the only woman to represent the United States at the podium. And that was a wonderful experience. It was actually translated into different languages. And it was, it was a wonderful opportunity. Um, so I've had the opportunity also of lecturing in Taiwan. I was actually hired by the government of Taiwan to create a course for the optometrists there. So we've lectured pretty much over 500 hours um, in the Pacific Rim. Um, I also had the opportunity of lecturing just recently um, in Korea for the behavioral optometry group in Korea, also the Korean Optometric Association. So I've had a lovely opportunity of also lecturing in um, Australia, New Zealand. I was actually asked by the special education department of Auckland to come and make a two-day presentation there on vision. Uh, I've had the opportunity of lecturing in Taiwan and Hong Kong, Monaco, New Zealand, France, Italy, South Africa, Belgium, Sweden. So I've had many blessings to be able to share ideas to optometrists all over the world, and it's been very special. Other things I've had an opportunity to do is to uh, attend the 1996 Olympics in Atlanta, and I was part of the 
vision screening for the American Optometric Association. So I really enjoyed having an opportunity to do that and be faculty on the College of Optometry of Vision Development, um, Southern California College of Optometry, and Western College of Optometry in Pomona. So we actually have students from those schools come and spend time in our office, and we have a chance to teach them some of the specialty work that we do. In addition to sharing a great practice in Newport Beach, California, that's fantastic. Doctor, what kind of patients do you see in your practice? You know, we, uh, I work with my husband, Dr. Stephen Cohn, and he sees contact lens patients and what we call typical populations, people that just need an upgrade in their um, prescriptions, um, people that have keratoconus. Um, but my particular aspect of the practice is I see... I do see typical populations, just regular people that come in and need a uh, prescription update, but I also Mm -hmm. see special populations. So from the beginning, I started out as a pediatric specialist, and I was seeing all kinds of children that were from infants on up, um, children that were having birth problems, children that had cerebral cerebral palsy, children who had autism, um, multiple sclerosis for our older, you know, personnel. Um, I do do visual rehabilitation for stroke and trauma. I see children that have Down syndrome. Um, Any kind of special needs populations is what I do. And we even do pediatric stroke pediatric head trauma, and a whole range of visual development. So I've had the opportunity of devising lots of different techniques for these special needs populations in order to do an evaluation. I actually had a mother who was a pediatrician that brought her child in, and she says, nobody can examine my child. And I said, seriously? You know, why not? She says, well, this child is nonverbal. And I thought to myself, well, I see people who are have had strokes and are aphasic and they can't talk. And I examine babies and they don't talk. So I don't think that this is going to be a problem. And we did the entire evaluation and she was just blown away how we could get all of the information, even on, you know, a child that was two years old and didn't have language. You know, doctor, I know that there isn't a patient that you won't see. <laughs> That Everybody who has, uh, which is a tremendous resource for many of the doctors in your area. And Beth, this next question, doctor, is, I can't think of a better person whom to ask it to. What is vision? You know, a lot of people think that vision is how clearly you see, and obviously that's an important aspect of what vision is. We want people to see clearly at distance and near. But vision is more than just visual clarity. And, you know, I know that this is confusing to the public because they go into their pediatricians or their eye doctors and they read the eye chart. And if they can do that, you know, they get this, well, your vision is perfect. And that's kind of a misnomer. Their vision may not be perfect. Their visual acuity may be very good. Mm-hmm. But vision has to do with more than just how clearly you see. Obviously an important concept, but it has to do with also how you focus your eyes, how you team your eyes, how you use your eyes to scan when you're reading, how you reorganize your visual system from one point in space to another. Do you have good control? Do you have good accuracy? 
can you do this over the day? Do you have good endurance? Because I see people that are great for the first hour or two, but as the day goes on, their efficiency gets more compromised. They're not as comfortable. By the end of the day, they're exhausted. And that's one of the other areas that we look at. Now, I see a lot of people that, you know, little kids, and they have fine motor problems or motor problems. And so motor isn't just, you know, finger dexterity for buttoning, zipping, graphomotor, writing. Mm -hmm. It's also, lip, tongue, and mouth differentiation for articulation and enunciation, and it's also fine visual motor, how we use our eyes in order to really gather our information from the world. And so, we also want to see, does vision integrate with other sensory modalities? That kid that is trying to hit the ball, or let's say just have a ball tossed to them, they may mislocalize where that ball is. So the ball's actually hitting them in the chest and then they close their hands because they may actually look like the ball is to them farther away or too close. And so they respond differently to it. That's really great information. And doctor, what are a few things that parents and people for that matter can look for that might suggest that they have a vision problem? Well, I think that it has to do with being able to ask questions and ask them appropriately. Um, when I ask, when I talk to kids and when I talk to people, I'm looking for specific information and things that, you know, we see is, is this somebody that sees the words blurry? Or let's say they're working up close and then they look up to the board and mm-hmm. it's blurry for a second, but then they can clear it up. That's a focusing system that kind of gets stuck. You know, when they're working up close for a long time and then they look up to the board, it's not releasing. And that's why it's intermittently blurry, but then it kind of clears up at the end. If it was a refraction problem or a prescription problem, you know, they would look up, it would be blurry, and it wouldn't clear up. Um, I always ask if words kind of are double sometimes, and sometimes a child doesn't always understand that, but they can tell you that the print runs together, or the words jump around on the page, or the print comes in and out of focus. This may be a child that skips words or skips sentences, and they didn't even realize it, and it kind of looks like they have a comprehension problem. Mm-hmm. The true comprehension problem is my eyes hit all the word, and I'm not just the, my eyes hit all the words, and I'm not just un, you know getting all the information, um, and so I don't understand you know the information because I've skipped part of it. Um, you may have a child that kind of closes or covers an eye; they kind of squint, they turn their head. Um, it may be an individual who gets tired when they read. Reading makes them fall asleep or they get fatigued with reading. They may get headaches when they have to read for a long time. And I always ask you, like, where is that headache located? Is it in the front um, by the mm-hmm. forehead? Is it on the top? Is it on the sides? Because a visual headache is a frontal headache usually. Um, this is a child who may have difficulty um, with attention. And whenever they have to visually invest themselves into a task, they can't do it for very long. And if they're skipping words or skipping sentences, they may need to use their finger in order to kind of keep their place on the page. It may be a child that when they're copying, they miscopy. They they leave out words. They leave out sentences. Um, You can have a child who, by the end of the day, their eyes are hurting or they're tired, or it's the child that really tries to avoid near work. 
And so, you know, Mom, I want a glass of water. The mom brings a glass of water. No, no, no. That's kitchen water. I want bathroom water. You know, it's any excuse to do off-task kinds of behaviors, and it looks like, oh, this kid has an attention problem. Well, it may be a visual attention problem because they can't sustain and invest themselves over the day with a comprehension demand. You know, they may be able to sit on that iPad for hours, but when it comes to now I have to decode something, I have to break it down, I have to understand it, I have to read there, I have to put in all these complexities and go into past experience and bring it forward and understand what's happening, that may be more problematic. And, like, when do we see this happen? Many times we see this happen about second half of second grade because what happens is the words get smaller, they're closer together, there are more words on a line, there's more lines on a page, and the paradigm has changed. We're not learning to read. These are the letters, this is how they sound, this is how you blend them, this is how you say it. We're reading in order to gain meaning. So all the ideas in the world are put down in print. Reading is just an opportunity to tap into that ability to understand ideas. And that may be really problematic as this visual system that is very inconsistent interferes with a child to really demonstrate how bright they really are. The other aspect is vision has to integrate with other sensory systems, and we have to understand the world. We have to perceive information. And if the information coming in is coming in in an inconsistent and disruptive fashion, Mm -hmm. a child's processing speed and their perception may be off as well. Well, I think that's a good place to take a break right now. We can continue on that thought, too, Dr. Ballinger. You're on Vision Talk Radio with Dr. Bob, and we'll be back. Looking for exciting video content live and on demand? Visit www.voiceamerica.tv for exclusive content you just can't find anywhere else. That's voiceamerica.tv. Tune in now. If you are in Southern California, visit Rancho Cucamonga Optometric Center. Dr. Bob started his practice more than 25 years ago, providing high-quality vision care to his patients. Some of our patients and their families have been coming to us since the very beginning. Visit our website at RanchoEyeDoctor.com. There you can click on the Testimonials tab, Video tab, and Blog tab. If Dr. Bob feels that the care a patient needs is beyond his scope of practice or knowledge, he can refer these patients to specialists to make sure the patient is receiving the best care possible. Rancho Cucamonga Optometric Center is part of the local chambers of commerce in Rancho Cucamonga, Upland, and Ontario, California. Our wonderful staff is very knowledgeable and friendly. We welcome most vision care plans and can help you find your vision plan if you're unsure about your coverage. We'd love to have you come in. Visit RanchoEyeDoctor.com or if you're in Southern California, call us at 909-980-3535. Rancho Cucamonga Optometric Center, 909-980-3535 or RanchoEyeDoctor.com. How is your health? Do you want to know more about it? Every day there are new technologies, procedures, and healing techniques coming forward. To understand them, tune in to Speaking of Health with Dr. Michael Cudlis. Our guests come from different backgrounds in the fields of health and healing. We'll discuss new realities and modalities, from chiropractic to metagenics. It's all designed to improve your quality of life. Speaking of Health is heard live every Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. 
Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You are listening to Vision Talk Radio with Dr. Bob Rothbard. To reach our show, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. Or you can send an email to ranchooptometric at verizon.net. Now, back to this week's edition of Vision Talk Radio. You're back on Vision Talk Radio with Dr. Bob. I have optometrist Dr. Beth Ballinger with me, and we got a lot to talk about still. Uh, doctor, uh, sometimes when I'm doing my exams, and I can make this prediction, I want you to go over, I'm going to mention a couple of symptoms that these patients, whether they be adults or children, one, I'll ask them when I find certain things when I'm doing my testing and they feel kind of uh, nauseous, to say the least. Uh, do you get motion sickness in the back seat of a car as opposed to the front seat of a car? And do you notice that you're light sensitive, especially with two eyes versus one eye? I'd really like you to delve into those issues because they're important. Okay, so let's take the last one first. Okay. Um, people that get car sickness or motion sickness. Um, if you're sitting in the front of the car, and you're looking out the front window, information is coming towards you. If you're in the back seat of a car or looking out the window, the car is moving forward. The world is moving from left to right. And so your eyes go through what we call a saccade, which is I'm looking at the information until it's to the back of the window, and then my eyes jump to the front again, and that goes again and again and again. Somebody that has poor eye-teaming skills, that can be very disruptive to them. And so, or if they're reading in the back of a car and Mm -hmm. the car is kind of going over bumpy, that the book is jumping up and down, and that can be really uncomfortable. So when we have individuals that have those kinds of symptoms, we want to look very carefully at how the eyes team together. We want to do it... um, at different positions in space, and we want to do it not just in one point. We want to do it dynamically. So we want to be able to see as that information is presented in different positions, you know, superiorly, inferiorly, to the right, to the left, is this a system that starts to decompensate and have difficulty. Um, With respect to light sensitivity, Many times, people that are truly light sensitive, it will manifest with either both eyes open or one eye shut. It doesn't matter. But if you have an eye teaming problem, which is making the system more sensitive, Mm -hmm. if you are light sensitive and close one eye, it's not as bothersome. The same thing like when you have fluorescent lights. Sometimes fluorescent lights are flickering at what we call a subcritical threshold. It's just before the light starts to be really obvious that it's flickering, it's going to need to be changed. But some people become very fatigued and they're very uncomfortable with it. In our office, we use full-spectrum lighting, and that allows an individual to see the world as if like they were outside. And it's a much better uh, type of lighting in order to do. So... I think that the points that you bring up are really excellent because, you know, some of these things, they 
they look like something else, but they're really a visual issue that's underlying. The first thing that you mentioned is, you know, as part of our regular optometric exam, we test convergence, we test divergence, we test it at distance, we test it at near. And sometimes by the end of that exam, people are really uncomfortable. This is like, you know, after you go through a vision exam and you have a optometrist that's going to do all the appropriate tests, that is like using your eyes all day long. So it really gives us some insight into, you know, what is going to be that person's ability to sustain over time. If they start to go through your evaluation and they get really tired, can you imagine what the visual demands over the day has to be like? Mm-hmm, exactly. You know, if, if you're reading at 10 o'clock at night and you've read that paragraph three times and you still don't understand what it means and you know your eyes made a commitment to the words, it's the end of the day, you had a busy day, you're tired, you're entitled. But if that's happening to you at 10 o'clock in the morning and you're a student, you're going to have a problem with the the amount of information that you can retain during the day. And that may be something that's an interference. You know, some of the tests, uh, some of the optometrists, I should say, when they're testing, and it's not everybody, unfortunately, we're basically measuring how much stress we can put that visual system under, which is basically what you're saying, and still have that person be able to maintain clear, comfortable vision. It's a big thing to look for, especially as we're doing much more uh, near work, and the near work is being done at a lot younger age. Uh, One of the questions a little bit related to that is, what are tests uh, that I can do uh, with my children or a parent could do with their children to check if they possibly have a vision problem? Absolutely. First of all, a good history is, you know, paramount. And so when you see a child that is having difficulty, like they would rather have the parent read the information to them rather than to wrestle the words off of the page. To me, that's a sign that, you know, that's, maybe there's a visual issue that's an interference. But as a parent, you can also have um, a target, something that letters or a little toy, and have the, and move it horizontally just a couple of inches to the right and to the left and ask, see if the child can follow it. If the child's having difficulty following it, have the child hold the parent's hand while they're moving it. Sometimes vision doesn't give good information, but touch doesn't lie. So if the child knows physically where the plane of visual target of the visual target is, it's easier for them to keep their eye on it. Now, a child that's having difficulty with that, they'll either um, move their head because it's difficulty to just move that fine motor eye movement skill, so they're using their head as a backup strategy. Um, you may have a child that if you ask them to follow the target and you ask them a simple question, do you have any pets at home? What's the color of the paws of your dog? Children that have difficulty integrating vision with thinking will either not answer the question or pause or hesitate to answer the question or, you know, they'll answer the question and they'll visually disengage from the target. You know, they're looking at you in order to answer. And to me, that gives us some 
feedback as to if this child now has to move their eyes across a line of print, decode that print, understand it, and derive meaning from it, you know, this may be problematic for them. So this is like an easy test to do. You can also take a target and put it at nose, the bridge of the nose center level, like about arm's length out, and slowly bring it in towards the child's nose and to see can that child follow it in with both eyes equally. If they have an eye teaming problem, a convergence problem, the ability to bring both eyes inward in an equal amount, one eye may try and drift out because it's difficult to do that. Now, sometimes what happens as you bring it towards them, a child will back up because okay? <laughs> it's difficult for them to get their eyes to team or they'll visually disengage. Or you may see that, you know, they'll, they'll look away, they'll come back, they'll try and pick it up. If you're moving it side to side, you may see that the eyes really aren't smooth. They kind of go like like a visual stutter almost. A child may have difficulty crossing the midline as they go from right to left. So these are things that a parent can actually look for. Also, when a child is sitting down and doing homework, do they sit up? Do they get really close? There is a distance called the Harmon distance, and it's mm-hmm. the distance from the elbow to the second knuckle. And if you put the second knuckle on your chin and hold your elbow out, you really shouldn't be closer than that because the closer you get, the more stressor factors you're putting on the focusing system. So we want our children to kind of sit up. We want a, a slanted surface so that the focusing demand from the top of the page to the middle of the page to the bottom of the page is more equalized so that they have better visual endurance. And these are things that a parent can do. Now, they can actually, there are slant boards that, you know, are out there. You can take um, a notebook um, like a three-ring binder, you know, like a three- or four-inch three-ring binder, put the, the book on that and, you know, angle it upwards for the child, especially towards the end of the day when that system's fatigued. It'll make it a little easier for them to be able to do. And watch the child when they're doing activities. You know, are they turning their head to one side to just, you know, favor one eye? Are they turning their head, you know, like, um, you know, like... Uh, tilted, you know, to one side um, because they may have some eye-teaming problems. I actually had a young man who had double vision, one higher than the other. Mm-hmm. He was the best reader in the class because what he would do is to cover over all the top and all the bottom lines and only expose one line at a time. And so he would see two lines. He'd always read the top one. But when we finally figured out what was going on, it, I, the parents were stunned. And so they said, well, why didn't you ever tell us? And like most children that have had difficulties all of their lives, they don't know what's supposed to be any different. Mm-hmm. And he didn't know that it wasn't supposed to be fuzzy or it wasn't supposed to be double or the words shouldn't be jumping around on the page or, or running into each other or the print coming in and out of focus. So some kids, they actually use their finger to try and ground themselves. But these are kids that, you know, when you have a child that has challenges and they have clumsy-looking behaviors, they may not really be clumsy. They may have difficulty with being able to localize where things are in space. So this is the touchy-feely kid. He's always in trouble because he's got his hands all over everybody. He walks down the hallway with his fingers on the wall because that's a problem. He doesn't know where he is in space. So, you know, it's like, you know, take your dirty fingers off the wall. You know, but his hands are all over the place because he doesn't (laughs) know where he is in space. And so he's trying to, like, ground himself. 
So these are things that parents need to be aware that these are signs and symptoms. And it's not just the pediatrician's vision acuity chart that's going to give us that information. Many of the children that I see have very, very good visual clarity. They're, they're, they're great. They can see 2020 at distance. They can see 2020 at near. That's not their issue. It's how they use their visual system. It's how they focus. It's how they team. It's how they scan. Those are the issues that are problematic. And so you can't define vision by I can see it clearly in one point in space. We want to see do they see clearly over the day? Can they transition from distance and near and maintain clarity in both places, keep their place, understand what they're doing. And so that's the things that parents can look for. You know, there was a doctor up in Oregon. You probably know who he is, Dr. Tully Greenstein. And uh, he used to say we have the best kept secret going on uh, behavioral optometry, this type of care, what we really have to offer and share with our patients. Uh, It's unbelievable. I was fortunate to be able to go up, uh, attend school in Oregon and also some of the intern program in New York with all, well, you studied with them too, most of the doctors there. Uh, doctor, when we come back from our uh, mid-break, I'd like to go into when should we have our first vision exam, both for us, of course, and our children. When is it important? And I think that would be a good place to leave off right now. We're on Vision Talk Radio with Dr. Bob on Voice America. We'll be back. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. Do you or does somebody you know face an ongoing battle with addiction? Our nation's drug problem is getting worse as we spend billions on the judicial system. It's time to fight the demand for drugs and not the supply. Listen for I Took the High Road with host Jacob Jansen, who has experienced both IV heroin addiction and recovery and is now here to both help and educate you with his story and engaging guests. There are great resources available for recovery, and there is hope. Tune in every Friday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. If you are in Southern California, visit Rancho Cucamonga Optometric Center. Dr. Bob started his practice more than 25 years ago, providing high-quality vision care to his patients. Some of our patients and their families have been coming to us since the very beginning. Visit our website at RanchoEyeDoctor.com. There you can click on the Testimonials tab, Video tab, and Blog tab. If Dr. Bob feels that the care a patient needs is beyond his scope of practice or knowledge, he can refer these patients to specialists to make sure the patient is receiving the best care possible. Rancho Cucamonga Optometric Center is part of the local chambers of commerce in Rancho Cucamonga, Upland, and Ontario, California. Our wonderful staff is very knowledgeable and friendly. We welcome most vision care plans and can help you find your vision plan if you're unsure about your coverage. We'd love to have you come in. Visit RanchoEyeDoctor.com or if you're in Southern California, call us at 909-980-3535. Rancho Cucamonga Optometric Center, 909-980-3535 or RanchoEyeDoctor.com. 
We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to Vision Talk Radio with Dr. Bob Rothbard. To reach our show, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. Or you can send an email to ranchooptometric at verizon.net. Now, back to this week's edition of Vision Talk Radio. Okay, you're back with Dr. Bob. I have optometrist Dr. Beth Ballinger with me. And Dr. Uh, when should we have our first examination, and why is it so important at the youngest age possible? Well, the American Optometric Association recommends that the first vision exam be at six months of age. And a lot of people say, well, how can you do an exam on a child that's so young? And, you know, when we do testing, there are objective ways and subjective ways. The subjective way is when the individual actually has to, you know, uh, talk to us, respond, and, you know, I- interact. But objective ways is, is our opportunity without them saying anything that we can get lots of information. And so we can actually do tasks to see if that visual system is developing normally. And so I've had the opportunity of creating lots of different tests. I have many different toys that we use to make it fun and non-threatening for children, Mm -hmm. and we can monitor their response. So, you know, for visual acuity, there's actually tests that have to do with looking preference. And so for very young children, six months, you know, under one year of age, we have cards that have stripes on one side Mm -hmm. and the stripes are of different thicknesses and they get smaller, closer and closer, which is a finer acuity level. And it's gray on the other side. And our brains are set up for complexity. If we see something and can, you know, ascertain it, we will automatically look at the, the, the aspect that has more complexity to it. So if we hold the card up and we kind of tap on the back of the card and look at where the individual looks, we can actually get an idea of what their you know, level of visual acuity are. As children get older, there are other cards that have pictures on it and they're gray and these pictures are fish and houses and they're called optotypes. So it it looks like uh, the picture being outlined by a white line. So the lines go from what I say linguini to capellini, <laughs> thicker lines, and then they get thinner and thinner and thinner. And we want to see where that, you know, over one year old, you know, responds. And so these are different um, preferential looking tasks. That's the, the, the $10, you know, name of it. But mm-hmm. it has to do with looking at looking behaviors so that we understand uh, what they see. So there are many techniques to do for very, very young or individuals who may have handicaps, 
cognitive handicaps so that they function very young. I see many times profound head traumas that, you know, they kind of go back to those eye movement skills like a six-month-old. So we really need to be able to have our techniques perfected in order to be able to look at many different types of, you know, populations regardless of what their chronological age is. Um, I've seen people that have had head trauma. I have one individual that actually fell off of a bridge and hit the bottom part of a bridge, and this is an adult and they actually function like, in some cases, four years old to six years old in certain kinds of demands. So um, their in-vision training, which is what we provide, and visual rehabilitative therapy in order to be able to address whatever the visual needs are of the people that come to us that have challenges, and we work with them. We're, we actually design a program that is person-specific in order to address their specific areas of need. And what should we look for in the doctor's examination? Well, I think that we need to look at more than just a refraction and a good health check, which is, you know, what most of us do. We need to see, is this somebody that can do a depth perception test and not just hold the depth perception test, you know, still. We want to be able to move it side to side and still see if they can maintain that level of depth awareness. So it's Mm -hmm. called actually dynamic stereopsis. You know, as somebody is moving their eyes um, at different points in space, can they still maintain good eye-teaming clarity and get good good input? Um, I think it's important to make sure that we're doing convergence and divergence testing at both distance and near and do a very thorough exam of that accommodative system or how that system focuses. In our office, you know, the, the task is to see when does the target blur out, and we use different lenses in order to do that. Mm-hmm. But in our office, we want to know where does it first blur out, And then where is it totally blurred out? And then we start to reduce the lens and see where do they get it clear again? Because that gives us feedback as to the visual endurance of that, you know, individual. Um, It gives us some insight because we only have them for an hour. You know, we don't have them all day long. And so by doing the test that we do, it gives us some very good insight. When we give a prescription for the first time or if we change a prescription in our office, we want to see that individual back because that prescription many times is not just for clarity. It's to help guide that system to function in a different way. So when we take all of the visual findings, it's like the visual scaffolding that we're, you know, trying to understand. So we'll actually see that person back in like four weeks, six weeks, or eight weeks. We don't charge for this, but Mm -hmm. now we want to, so now that they've been wearing this either new prescription or updated prescription, we want to see how that visual system is posturing and is it allowing them to have better success in whatever their visual endeavors are. So we try very hard to make sure that we have that opportunity to monitor and guide that system to go in more appropriate ways. It allows the individual to be more efficient. It's There's so much there and uh, a lot of times this is not being done out there. Uh, so it's but, a gift know, that you deal that with. Different optometrists have different uh, perspectives 
and and there's not just one right way to do it, but because we're looking at how vision allows an individual to function in their world and how it can more maximally allow that individual to invest themselves, to us, glasses aren't just, here's a pair of glasses, if you have a problem, call me, I'll see you in in a year or two. You know, we try and see our kids more than once a year. You know, if we have any questions about that system's functioning, after we get the glasses and we see them back within somewhere between one and two months, we may say, you know, we see that this is a system that we know the demand is going to become more sophisticated. Let's check them out in six months. We'll do it as a quick office visit. But, you know, the visual demands today with children, and they're all on their iPhones, iPads, computers, Mm -hmm. you know, it, it really allows that system to not necessarily develop Spatially, you know, how does somebody, you know, function in the world because they're all locked into this? Now, it used to be that, you know, when I was a very young optometrist, we really didn't see a lot of nearsightedness until, you know, the end of, you know, high school, junior high, high school, you know, middle school, you know, that type of thing. But what we're seeing now is very young children in elementary school becoming more nearsighted more quickly because of all the near-point visual demands. And some of these kids, they're real little couch potatoes. They will sit all day at a computer, Mm -hmm. and they're not getting up. They're not moving. They're not using the visual system to negotiate their visual world as much. So I think that it's important, even though we want our kids to read and be academically um, aware it's really important to get them up and moving and not just sitting on their little bottoms all day long. Mm-hmm. Doctor, we got about three minutes uh, till about break, three to four. Uh, and this is an important question because I know you deal tremendously with this area of visual perception. Could you describe some of that uh, and what we don't cover, we'll cover after the break? Okay. Visual perception is how do I understand my world? And in order to have efficient visual perception, we need to make sure that how I gather my information from my world, how I use my eyes efficiently in order to communicate with, you know, all the information has to be intact because if that's not going to be intact and a visual system is inconsistent, it's going to make how I perceive the world and how I interpret that information more complex and more difficult. So visual perception is a huge area, and I can't give it justice. Oh, of course not. And uh, perhaps it was a question. I just wanted uh, the audience to realize there is uh, a whole area of optometry that deals specifically with this as it deals with uh, what you've alluded to and brought up, uh, vision therapy and uh, visual rehabilitation. I mean, the changes that you see are immense, and we can start discussing one or two cases. One case that you brought up to me that was really interesting, and we're going to discuss more of them, at, uh, what you felt was really important, but one that you discussed with me a few months ago at brunch was the individual who you were able to tell uh, that there was a visual blockage within the eye, sort of like an embolus, and you were able to tell that person to actually breathe into a paper bag and probably save the vision of that eye. And I, you know, it made perfect sense to me. I don't think I would have picked up on it myself. 
So these are types of things, you know, in addition to one or two of the cases I know you're going to bring in and bring up, uh, which was uh, tremendous what we have to offer. And maybe you can start right now because we have a couple of minutes on one of the cases, and we'll just carry it through on the rest after the break. Well, this is that important. particular case that you were talking about, the patient actually called me and said, I feel like there's a veil coming over my eye. And so I asked where they were, and they were in a grocery store with a friend. So I said, well, get a paper bag from the grocer, and in this particular case, an ice cream bag. Hold it over your nose and mouth tightly and breathe into it and have your friend drive you to me immediately. Because to me, that was an emboli. It was a bit of cholesterol in the vascular system that was had broken off and was moving. And why I told them to breathe into the paper bag is because if it would come in and block the vessels that were coming into the back of the eye, but before it got into the eye, that I would be blind. But by breathing into the paper bag... The brain is getting the signal that I'm oxygen starving myself because I'm breathing in my own carbon, my own uh, nitrogen and carbon dioxide. So the brain gets the signal to dilate the blood vessels because I'm not getting in enough oxygen. And that opens up the vessels and that blockage actually came into the back of the eye and settled in one of the inferior, you know, um, vascular systems in in the eye in the bottom and so instead of that eye going blind there was just one aspect that was compromised and so when they came in i actually you know said okay yes this is what i'm seeing i took a picture of it i showed it to them i said i'm sending you to a retinal specialist so that they can make sure there's no other issues and when the retinal specialist heard the story they said you go back and kiss the feet of your optometrist because she told you exactly the right thing to do so that's great that is really uh really great we're up against break right now, Doctor. We'll be coming back, and I want to go over with you several of your other cases over the closing time that we have uh, that I think uh, how important it is what you're doing. Uh, you're on Vision Talk Radio with Dr. Bob. We'll be back. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. How many times have you heard this? I'm sick and tired of feeling sick and tired. You are what you eat. I've tried every diet. Diets don't work. It's time to stop this kind of madness and start thinking and feeling empowered to change your health. Tune in to The Raw Truth with Chef Sharon Fraser. Join us weekly for thought-provoking conversations with world-renowned experts in the food, medical, holistic, sports medicine, chiropractic, and naturopathic health sciences. The Raw Truth airs live every Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern on Voice America Health & Wellness. If you are in Southern California, visit Rancho Cucamonga Optometric Center. Dr. Bob started his practice more than 25 years ago, providing high-quality vision care to his patients. 
Some of our patients and their families have been coming to us since the very beginning. Visit our website at RanchoEyeDoctor.com. There you can click on the Testimonials tab, Video tab, and Blog tab. If Dr. Bob feels that the care a patient needs is beyond his scope of practice or knowledge, he can refer these patients to specialists to make sure the patient is receiving the best care possible. Rancho Cucamonga Optometric Center is part of the local chambers of commerce in Rancho Cucamonga, Upland, and Ontario, California. Our wonderful staff is very knowledgeable and friendly. We welcome most vision care plans and can help you find your vision plan if you're unsure about your coverage. We'd love to have you come in. Visit RanchoEyeDoctor.com or if you're in Southern California, call us at 909-980-3535. Rancho Cucamonga Optometric Center, 909-980-3535 or RanchoEyeDoctor.com. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. You are listening to Vision Talk Radio with Dr. Bob Rothbard. To reach our show, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. Or you can send an email to ranchooptometric at verizon.net. Now, back to this week's edition of Vision Talk Radio. Okay, you're back with Dr. Bob on Vision Talk Radio. We have optometrist Dr. Beth Ballinger. And in this last segment, I really want to reach out to her to uh, describe some of her most interesting cases uh, with the patients whom she's worked with? Well, um, one of the patients that I worked with was a young girl who had Duane's retraction syndrome. And in this particular case, if the child would look to her right-hand side, both eyes would turn to the right. If she would look to her left-hand side, One eye would go to the left, but the other eye stopped at midline. And so when she looked to the left, she would see double. So she would actually have to turn her head to her left to make sure that she wasn't seeing double. And so um, the mom would say, you know, she has a lot of problems and she, her penmanship isn't very good. She's always in trouble with the teacher. So the first question out of my mouth was, like, where does she sit in her classroom? And fortunately, she was seated on the right-hand side of the classroom, which means that in order to see in her left visual space, she had to turn her body all the way around so that it wasn't double for her. And so the teacher thought that she's talking to the child behind her or, you know, in the other row, but, you know, in back, and the child was always in trouble. And so when the mom said, you know, well, when she, you know, she has problems with penmanship, our testing demonstrated that when she looked down, her eyes would diverge out a lot and she would see double. And so I said, well, wait a second. And I brought it up at eye level instead of down where we mostly, you know, write. And her penmanship was gorgeous. And I said, you know, let me ask you a question. I bet when she was a little girl learning how to go up and down stairs, she didn't have a problem going upstairs. But I bet you it took her a really long time to go downstairs. And the mom said, 
I'm, I'm stunned because I have two other children and they never had issues and she took a long time to go down the stairs and to learn how to do that. And I said, and I'll go so far as to say that she would like hang on to the banister with both hands and use her little foot, you know, to see, you know, the next step. And she says, I ask my pediatrician that all the time. I never understood why she did that. And I said, well, up visual space, both eyes would team together, but down visual space, and when you go downstairs, that's a huge visual space volume. Mm-hmm. Everything was looking double. So what she would do is to grab onto the banister and use her little foot to see which is the, the of the two steps that she saw, which one could she wait there on. And so, you know, the mom was like amazed. You know, she thought that it was like such a brilliant understanding, and it really has to do with, you know, doing a thorough visual evaluation and understanding how this visual deficit in this particular case was impacting this child's ability to do a lot of different things. So what we did is we immediately moved her over to the left side of the classroom. And, you know, in this particular case, looking into right visual space is her safe space. So Mm -hmm. in a classroom situation, we want her to sit on the left side of the classroom. But in a car, we want her to sit in the right side of a car so that if she's looking out the window, it's to that right side and that's not a problem. And the mom started to think, and she says, that's why whenever she goes to the den and she wants to watch TV, she goes to the left side and sits on the couch when the chairs are like right in front and that's easier. You know, I said, yep. (laughs) And she always wants to sit on the left-hand side of the movie theater when she goes to the movies. And there's like a reason why. Children do things for specific reasons. If we are sensitive, if we can understand why they're doing it. Like I'll have a child that said, well, I'm, I'm not wearing my glasses. And I said, well, how come? And so they said, well, I don't think that it does anything because if I take my glasses off, it looks just as good as with my glasses on. And so sometimes we use glasses for more than just is it clear. Sometimes we use glasses like braces on the teeth to guide that system to go in a specific manner. And so by wearing the glasses, it's kind of like doing vision training. It's guiding that system to Mm -hmm. go where we want it to go. So if a child is telling you something, don't give them a hard time. The doctor that's prescribed the prescription should be trying to figure out, is it because it doesn't feel comfortable on their face? You know, look at your children at the end of the day behind their little ears or see their little noses. You know, are there red marks? Is that maybe the frame isn't fitting properly? Maybe the system has shifted over time and that system needs a different kind of a prescription. Um, so I think that it's important to really listen to children. They, they tell you true, and you just have to kind of be like uh, Sherlock Holmes and figure out what's going on. Um, with respect to another really complex case that I had... You have about was, two minutes, uh, Doctor. Uh, it was a woman who had... It looked like Parkinson's, but it was a much more complex motor difficulty called progressive supranuclear palsy. Mm-hmm. And when she would look down, she, she couldn't look down. She actually had to tilt her head down. And so we actually used prisms to bring down visual space up mm-hmm. and made it so much easier. So using lenses, using prisms, using appropriate visual therapies, we can actually make the quality of somebody's life so much better. And it's a privilege and a joy to be able to do that. And optometry has such a unique understanding of this, where I don't think any other profession does. 
as far as what we're a- actually able to offer. And again, it's much more than just 2020 uh, that we have. Function. We're looking at how that visual system allows an individual to function well in the demands of their job or their sport or their, their day. And that's who we are and what we do. We, we, we do the tests that ask the questions, and we, we monitor very carefully. And if you're doing it right, you know, you should have somebody that's really looking after you and treating you like, you know, that's part of your family. That's, that's the that, good quality of care. That's the test and the reception that I know I get, and I'm sure you get it, uh, from the parents or from the patients themselves is, it's like a revelation. No, it's one thing to have a problem, uh, but it's one thing to, hey, I know I have a problem, and now I know why I have it. Unfortunately, Dr. Time is up. It's been great having you on the show, Dr. Ballinger, and we'll certainly keep in touch, I'm sure. And I'm, I'm really excited about this uh, whole series of uh, discussions we had with optometrists and ophthalmologists on the show. And it was wonderful having you with us, Doctor. And Thank you have you a great week. And you, Doctor Bob, you're wonderful. Well, I certainly appreciate that, and I want to really wish you and uh, wish your husband, Doctor Cohen, Steve, uh, all the best. And uh, God, I was kind of wondering with all the traveling you're doing, how you have time to run a practice, and you do such a great job of it. I know in doing it, you just—it's just tremendous. You're such an inspiration, and you're such a role model, using that wonderful word or two words, but literally you are for what our profession really stands for. Okay, we're concluding our show today. We've been with Dr. Ballinger. You are listening to Voice America with Vision Talk Radio with Dr. Bob. Have a great week. Take care. Thank you for tuning in to Vision Talk Radio with Dr. Bob. We'll be back next Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a great week.